0: Welcome to episode 13 of Turning the Goldfields Green. In today's episode, I'm talking to Chris Hain and Mel Willard about food security. Chris is the president of the Victorian Farmers Market Association and market manager at both Bendigo and Castlemaine Markets. Mel is one half of the gung-ho growers with her partner in crime, Sass Allardyce. Young Ho growers is the vegetable growing arm of the Harcourt Organic Farming Cooperative. I spoke to these guys in depth in 2018 in episode 6 of season one. It's one of my favourite episodes of that season, so I recommend you look it up. You can find it at saltgrass.podbean.com. Food security as a topic has been on the cards in terms of climate change since people first started thinking about climate change. But it has come up as so many climate change- related topics have during this time of the coronavirus. Seedlings and seeds are selling out at nurseries and hardware stores and they're putting limits on how many bags of potting mix you can buy because so many people are buying them. Once everyone had had time to get their head around the potential lack of toilet paper, they started to realise that the stuff that goes into your mouth is perhaps more important than worrying about what comes out the other end. So this episode I'm exploring what food security means in our region. I'm happy to state up front, spoiler alert, that there is actually no risk of running out of good food right here in central Victoria at this time. However, if we are thinking about climate change and what hotter, drier weather will mean to our farmers and their ability to produce, well, that's another story. But before we get into any of that, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Tja Tja Wurrung people. Let us pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. May we one day be able to live as successfully and sustainably on this land as they did for millennia. Salt salt.
1: Salt of the earth. Salt. Salt.
0: Salt of the earth. Grass. Create. Grassroots. Grassroots. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots grassroot. change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. Both interviews are done on the phone due to the coronavirus limitations on standing close to another person, which is required when you want them to speak into a microphone. So please excuse the quality of the sound. First, I spoke to Chris.
2: Hello, Chris speaking.
0: Hi, Chris, it's Ali. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Still a good time to do a little interview? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Great. So, Chris, um, tell me your position at the farmers market and what you do there.
2: Okay, so I'm the uh, market manager of Castlemaine Farmers Market and also Bendigo Community Farmers Market. And I'm also uh, the president of the Victorian Farmers Market Association.
0: Right, so you're very involved with farmer's markets.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's kind of how I like to do things. If I get involved in something, I kind of like to know how it works top to bottom and inside out. And usually that leads to someone asking you to sit on a committee and um, take responsibility for stuff.
0: (laughs) People do love to ask people to take responsibility (laughs) for stuff, don't they? Um, So what got you into farmer's markets? What's your background? What led to this? Oh,
2: look, so kind of a mixed... Background. So, sort of uh, twenty-five, maybe thirty years in the IT industry and sort of project project management and um, organisational development and customer service management. I moved to Bendigo um, uh, in the early two thousands, and one of the things that struck me was sort of moving into an area that was clearly a food bowl, but um, you know there was no there was no farmers market. And I lived in the US for a couple of years in the mid nineties on a project and. That was my first experience of a, um, you know, a proper farmers' market that sort of happened, you know, every week in a, in a kind of suburban setting. And uh, when I moved to Bendigo, it was kind of like, well, why doesn't a town like this or an area like this have have a market? And quite by accident, just. Um, bumped into a couple of other people at a couple of different events that kind of had the same thinking, and one of those in particular was she was a real, or is (laughs) a real dynamo, and kind of said, right, we're going to make this happen. And this was early 2009, and then by April 2010, we'd launched the Bendigo Community Farmers Market. I was still working in the corporate world then, but I was volunteering regularly and was obviously a keen shopper. That was the way I preferred to preferred to shop. And, you know, things sort of the wheels kept turning and uh, ended up I'd finished my corporate career, spent a couple of years in hospitality, which is something I'd always wanted to try. And then the market manager's job came up and I knew the person well that was doing the job. She was going back to study full time and just put my hand up. And then shortly after that, uh, the Castlemaine job came up as well and um, I kind of you know realised I'd had a bit of experience both as a volunteer and in paid roles as well in, in various kinds of event management and so I've done a couple of other one-off events that did some work for the state festival and the Bendigo Sustainable Living Festival but you know farmers markets is the is the focus that's the passion that's what, what drives me.
0: Why do you think it's so important that we have local producers and farmers markets um, available, to people? Well,
2: uh, well, uh, there, you know, that's a, there's a I guess multi-layered answer to um, to what seems like a simple question, but um, it is you know quite a complex question. But again, talk about personal motivations. Is uh, I've always you know ha- had that desire to know where my food comes from. And I've just found the best way to do that is to connect you know, directly with the, the people are, um, that are growing it or you know, in terms of you know, primary producers or if they're specialty producers or you know, artisan food producers to understand their story. And I just like that ability to kind of connect with the food but um, um, most importantly with the people that have you know, put, ended up Putting that in front of me and putting it on my plate, but I guess more importantly than that, I mean that's kind of there's there's kind of an emotional connection there. I like the fact also that I know, you know, for every dollar I spend, just about all of that is going into the farmer's pocket, you know, apart from the cost of attending the market and fuel and whatever. But they're getting a fair price for the product that they're putting in in front of me, and they're getting paid on the spot rather than. You know, through the sort of industrial agricultural sort of food system, where producers and farmers that are selling to supermarkets don't get a fair price all the time. In fact, most of the time, and quite often, uh, you know, they don't get paid on the spot. And they don't get paid for a while. So yeah, so back to the question. I just think it's um, really important to understand where your food comes from and that gives you that extra guarantee that you know you know it's fresh. If you're interested in organics and biodynamics, you know you've got that you've got that guarantee. but I also know that you know even most of the farmers that aren't certified organic are following regenerative farming practices and taking care of the health of the soil. Uh, which then takes care of, you know, whether they're raising animals or growing vegetables or growing fruit, you know, healthy soil means we end up with healthy food, and and I think that understanding and being assured and having that sort of authentic guarantee is, you know, is really critical to us being able to eat well and to support a food system that is sustainable as well. Uh, So, being able to support, you know, small scale or artisan food food producers, you know, so that they can run sustainable businesses and, you know, whether they're just employing themselves or employing, employing other people, you know, they're adding jobs into the local economy and, uh, you know, the, the stronger the local economy is and the stronger the community is.
0: Absolutely. So, as you know, the show that we're talking in is a sustainability focused show so environmental climate change themes but in the light of the current pandemic that we're all living through it's bringing up a lot of things that people have been trying to talk about around climate change which is food security the value of of local communities as you said so that we can supply our own needs locally instead of relying on these massive anonymous chains to supply us, how do you see farmers' markets fitting in to those sort of ideas?
2: Oh yeah, I think they they exist to support that that local food system. So you know they're a uh, you know not the only link in that chain, but you know for a lot of producers, they're that kind of um, final link in that chain, if you like, of providing a marketplace where where those people can, can come and connect directly with, with their, their local community. And, you know, when we, we talk about local, the Castlemaine Farmers Market is lucky to have lots of, you know, local producers, but there are some that come from a little bit further afield. So certainly from the Victorian Farmers Market Association, you know, we talk about local food as being, you know, Victorian, um, something that doesn't have to, you know, cross the border It still might mean that, it's traveling for a couple of hours but you know it's certainly not on the scale of you know the largest sort of industrial agricultural operations in terms of you know supporting that then again most of the activity that happens is you know within that certainly within that you know 100 miles kind of nominal boundary that's often drawn for acceptable food miles but For the most part, it's probably particularly the weekly market that we run in Castlemaine. Ninety percent of those people are within ten kilometres of the market, so being able to provide access to the community, where their time commitment is is lessened in terms of travel and in terms of time at the market, you know that's really critical to being able to keep farmers farming.
0: We're seeing a lot of people buying up seedlings and seeds and you know nowhere can keep up with the with this covid-19 dilemma that we've got happening at the moment this um, yeah. pandemic it, people are really worried about all sorts of produce suddenly not being available this is why people are stockpiling or trying to sort of supply themselves when they didn't used to worry about it and a lot of people who've never home gardened before are starting to try to
2: <laughs> 2 weeks ago I went to nursery in Bendigo to 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 do that to do our autumn planting and there was nothing left and I spoke to the guy there and he said yeah we've just been cleaned out and he said at least half of the people that are that are buying have never grown food before yeah it's an interesting response and and I I guess my other comment on that is it, it is interesting because if we talk about the, the local food systems are just around Casamay and Bendigo, uh, and a little bit further beyond. In in that small-scale farming and artisan food producer, there's no shortage. You know, there's no shortage of supply. In fact, as I'm sure you're aware, you know we're in the most abundant uh, season at the moment for. The fruit and vegetables uh, and that's why us being able to continue to operate in the market is so critical because there are farmers that have, have got you know produce still in the ground or produce picked that's ready to, ready to sell uh, you start to shut down these opportunities to run those sorts of markets not only is that food potentially go to waste but also then you know you're really impacting those people's ability to you know to run a sustainable enterprise and uh, you know the worst case scenario is if if those farms shut down a lot of them probably will never start up again.
0: I personally am don't have a green thumb <laughs> and I've always been <laughs> very grateful that there are local growers who I can buy from and who they have the experience and the knowledge and the will to put into making food and veg that I can buy so I'm very happy to buy it from them to support them, even if it costs a little more perhaps than the stuff from the supermarket.
2: And that, that's an interesting point too. What we're seeing quite interestingly, as I said, there's, you know, there's no shortage of supply in that, in that sort of local small scale food um, food system. Although the markets that we are running, the people with fresh produce are selling out because there's such a strong demand, but, you know, we're not seeing any change in prices from them because there is, you know, there is no shortage. Whereas what we're seeing in the, in the supermarkets is, um, you know, because people have stockpiled and, and panicked to an extent, And coupled with the the drought across some important food bowls around Australia, um, there is a shortage which has driven up the prices. So, you know, we're seeing potatoes at sort of three or four times the price that you'd find at a a farmer's market. The same with, you know, broccoli and cauliflowers and, you know, even zucchinis and tomatoes. Uh, um, So it is, you know, it's quite interesting. There's always been this perception that there was a farmer's market premium that you had to pay you know, what the, my argument has always been is that there's not a farmer's market premium, there's just this permanent supermarket discount, which doesn't reflect the true cost of food. And so now we see uh, farmers markets, you know, the price stays steady, because that is the true cost of food, while, you know, while supply uh, remains strong. And, you know, supermarkets are now offering food, you know, which is kind of reflecting the true cost of, of production, when you're in you know shortage of supply or in a drought situation so um, it's quite an interesting dynamic to watch uh, as you know, for, yeah. for those of us that are kind of close to it.
0: And in terms of this particular moment in time how are farmers markets having to change their operations or is there a, a risk that you might have to shut down soon because it seems to me you're as essential as a supermarket and potentially Better managed in terms of risk of infection than a supermarket.
2: <laughs> well, that's that's our proposition that we've put forward. And so it, again, various um, authorities around the state are making you know different kind of calls based on their own risk assessment. So. Across the network of, you know, with 37 accredited farmers' markets with the Victorian Farmers' Market Association, we've now had, I think, we're up to about six or seven that have, either the council has uh, shut them down, which happened in Bendigo, um, and I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute, or, or the local operators have decided that because they're dependent on volunteers and a lot of their volunteers are in that older category which is the higher risk category they've decided that they don't want to take the risk of you know, continuing to operate. But if I talk you know specifically about what I'm involved in then Alexander Alexandershire has certainly taken and interpreted the state governments and the federal government's uh, classification for food markets as being essential. Whether that's indoor or outdoor, you know, whether they're they you know static or event type operations like farmers' markets, that um, they are essential. That people still need to eat. Um, people still are able to leave the house, but you know, encourage them make it because it's essential and make it as quick as and as safe as possible, and then go back home. So that's that's the model that we've applied in Castlemaine mm-hmm. is. We've put in all sorts of measures. So we've got rid of all of the bells and whistles, if you like, that go with running an event that encourage people to congregate and socialise. So we've removed all of that. No music, no face painting for kids, no coffee cart, no food to eat on the spot with tables and chairs. So the message is, you know, please get in get shopping, go home. That's, you know, that's what we're asking people to do. And what we're seeing, particularly, you know, the the last couple of weeks in Castlemaine, because we are running a weekly market, is we've put in all sorts of measures. We've had, you know, we've probably been daily communications with both our storeholders and our shoppers to, uh, you know, explain what the guidelines are to maintain that sort of physical or social distancing to maintain effective hygiene to minimize or eliminate the use of cash all of those other things that could be could be risky and what we've seen is the public the the message has got through our message but also the message from uh, various other authorities particularly the you know chief medical officers at state and federal level and what we're seeing is everyone is taking uh, is being hyper vigilant and taking individual responsibility for the, for their space and how they interact in that space and you know and then therefore how they shop so they've modified you know their shopping behaviors uh, they we've asked not to queue and people aren't queuing you know there might be a, a queue of five or six people but they're maintaining that three or four meters, distance between each of
0: them. I noticed on Wednesday you had hand sanitising stations, you had notices up everywhere, and also at stalls that knew they had people, like the The um, Harcourt Cooperative have people who collect boxes each week, so they know that there's often a queue of people, so they've put down Hessian bags at appropriate distances to mark how far apart people should be, Yeah, which all seems like really good measures to really reinforce this idea that, you know, we all need to be as careful as possible and and take it seriously.
2: Yeah, so, you know, some of it, it probably seems, you know, quite draconian when you read read the words that we put out and you know half of it's in bold and capitals (laughs) you know uh but um but you know the, the reality is you know on the ground we want people both our storeholders and our our volunteers and particularly our shoppers to know that we take this very very seriously and we understand that there is a risk but we also say to people look we're not telling storeholders they have to attend. You know, there's, there's no hold we have over them, but they're choosing to attend because that's their business. And we're not making shoppers shop, but those that choose to shop, you know, we're saying this is how we want you to operate and this is how we want you to behave and comply, and they're doing it. As you said, we had all of those measures laid out, and, you know, I was quite anxious to know how people would respond to that. And we didn't have to talk to one person. we explained to people on the way in just reminded them of a couple of things but we didn't have to correct anyone's behaviour and we had Mount Alexander Shire risk uh, assessment officer come down and tick off everything, and the two officers from Vic Pol came down as well, and they spent about 15 minutes and took lots of photos and sent them back to their sergeant. And uh, yeah, and they ticked off on everything, and they basically made the point too. We wish supermarkets were operating operating with this sort of hyper vigilant and diligent approach. So, so that that's kind of what's happening in Castlemaine, and it's interesting. You know, the Shire has given us that. You know, that, that endorsement that it is essential and they ticked off on every measure that we put in place and they want us to keep on operating. City Greater Bendigo took a different, a different viewpoint about gatherings of people and uh, managing that risk on public land. So they withdrew our permit to operate the market on public land but indicated if we found private land, we could still run. And that's what we've been doing. So, you know, in Bendigo, we've kind of had to, you know adapt and innovate and we've been running uh, just we've just done three so far in the in the week since uh, we had our permit withdrawn but we're just running as you know what we call uh you know pop-up pre-order preferably prepaid you know pop in and pick up mini markets <laughs> So <laughs> lots of peace <P's. laughs> so, yeah lots of peas i so, say so that um yeah say so that four times faster than mouthful of muesli <laughs> <isn't>, but, um, <laughs>
0: that'll be a mess <laughs>
2: yeah uh, so but that's and and people have responded to that so we're, we're operating at the good loaf sourdough in the center of bendigo around their, their car park obviously their business is down and they're still selling bread and hot cross buns at the moment and still doing takeaway coffee so we're helping sort of bring a few more people to them uh and we're just running a series you know with two or three or four maybe up to six storeholders spread right out again with all of the all of the signs and sanitizing stations and uh, you know all of that uh, other infrastructure to support you know safe operation and and as I said we've done that three times now and again the behavior of the public has been exemplary Uh, we're watching it really closely but we again we haven't had to remind anyone of anything or Uh, Ask anyone to do anything different because they weren't complying. So, you know, I'm I'm really comfortable that the people that are choosing to come out understand how to take care of their own, you know, individual health and safety. Mm, That's great. Mm.
0: So, I guess uh, I'm not sure if you would have anything to say on our climate future. So, how you see the potential impacts of climate change and and the role that farmers markets and local producers can play in in that
2: well i think i think you know as i said the farmers markets exist to support those you know s- s- largely you know small scale ethical regenerative kind of farming practices you know through to you know certified organic or you know biodynamic sort of practices so the healthier the farmers market sector and, and network of operators is the, the more marketplaces there are for those types of farmers to to operate and make a sustainable living so if we can if we continue to prove that there is a, a marketplace connecting with communities that want to shop that way who want to know where their food comes from who want to understand the stories of the people that you know grow it and raise it and pick it and pack it and um, you know, process it to put it on your plate. Um the, the stronger that is, then there's more people that will hopefully make the decision to either convert their farming operation to that sort of operation or start up new um you know new farming operations along those lines and choosing to um you know direct the majority of their business through those through those markets. But I guess what we're also seeing is that particularly now is we're having to think about, you know, what the future might be for the sector and thinking that um, as things like climate and, you know, epidemics and pandemics might become more, uh, you know, the issues like that become more prevalent, that running, you know, the large-scale regular, you know, weekend events might become, you know, less viable and we've got to run smaller events more often. But also think about how we, you know, move to an online presence where people can, uh, you know, pre-order and pre-pay, and then work out the logistics of fulfilment, either to a central kind of hub, or, uh, you know, or even direct home delivery. And we've got we've got producers that I would never have thought would have leapt into that sort of world that are making the leap and finding that. Uh, it's a very different way of connecting with their loyal customers, but in some senses, it's actually giving them more time on the farm and uh, and allowing them to do just about the same sort of business. So, I think we'll see that uh, you know one of the f- possible you know fallouts from when we come out the other side of this is I think we'll still have those sorts of you know, events that come into a public space, and a park, or a car park, or whatever. But I think we'll have lots of other, um, lots of other mechanisms within that sort of food system uh, to to basically keep those types of farmers farming and enable them to make a sustainable living. And as you probably know, you know, um, Mel and Sass and Ant and Tess at the High Court Co-op. You know, they, there's you know a cohort of very smart, very young you know, new new farmers, relatively new, they were choosing. You know, they don't want to do weekend markets. They want to have they want to have a semblance of a normal kind of life. Once once that returns, anyway, you know, to have uh, weekends, which and the weekend might still be on the farm, but they're not they're not spent travelling hours to you know to a marketplace. So, um, You know, that, their passion and their energy is uh, with the driving force to help us to sort of get to a weekly market and we're seeing that we're seeing the power of that now um, so you know that that's what i think you know the, the future might hold and i think the more of our food that is grown in that way it starts to you know in a very small way but it really starts to mitigate some of the impacts of other parts of the economy, you know, not just agriculture, but other parts of the economy that aren't moving and, and aren't doing as much as they possibly should do to change, um, you know, change the game so that um, our endless sort of pursuit of, of growth um, for the sake of growth, uh, you know, leads to all of these negative negative impacts on the environment. Um, so I mean, you know, there's a kind of utopian view of how things might be, but um, Um, I'm I'm committed to doing my bit to help support that as best I can.
0: Yeah. I guess Sass and Mel, with the gung ho side of the cooperative, they're all doing pre ordered, which is sort of a smart way to do online shopping with the local producers. So they, they have been initiating ahead of a lot of the other producers in the region. An online shopping experience and a pre-order kind of commitment from their buyers which allows them to grow with certainty they can then predict how much to grow
2: Mm, indeed yeah Yeah. and as i said there's you know um just around the bendigo market because we you know we can't run the sort of big events that we used to um and we want to run these smaller ones and we want to make it a sort of quick experience again we've got like i said people that i never thought would set up an online shop that are, you know, working with us on Open Food Network to get their their shop set up so they can start to take those orders and they're starting to see the value. Yeah, okay, well, if I know I'm going to come to one of these pop-up mini markets and I know I've already sold, you know, $250 worth of cheese, you know, I know that's worth my time. And if I sell another, you know, $100 while I'm there, then that's a bonus.
0: Yeah. was Chris Hayne, president of the Victorian Farmers Market Association and manager of both Bendigo and Castlemaine Markets. Up next is Mel Willard. You heard her, her farm and the cooperative mentioned in my chat with Chris. She and Sass run Gung Ho Growers and are part of the Harcourt Farming Cooperative. I wanted to hear from the people who are literally on the ground, hands in soil, working to make sure we do all have enough food to eat through whatever crisis we might be facing, be it the coronavirus or climate change. How early do you get up? You must get up early.
1: Um, My alarm goes off at 4.45. Jesus, little us. Yeah, and then I have to leave home at 5.30, so I get to work at 6. Yeah. So, yeah, I can try and snooze as many times as I can to
0: make yeah. that possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: does it ease off? Like, I know in summer you have to get up real early to beat yeah, the heat. So... But does
1: yeah, yeah. It... I think we've just kept our summer hours so we can... Get enough done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at this time of year, so it's been dark. So in the last probably week, week and a half, we've actually kind of gotten there at 6.30 instead of 6, um, well, between 6 and 6.30 because it's not light till mm. 7, 7.30, but that's all going to change again on the weekend. So we'll probably keep it to a similar thing while we've got a lot of stuff going on and yeah weighing it back, you know, because also it's like the days on the other end get shorter. So.
0: <laughs> you've got less time to do things.
1: Yeah. 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 And I, I refuse to get up in the dark and then go to home in the dark. You just don't feel like a good – I think it's not good.
0: No. I, I agree. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not good for your head. No, not at all. I interviewed you a couple of years ago and you've grown a lot since then. So – can you maybe describe a little bit how much Gung Ho and the Harcourt Cooperative has has changed and grown since 2018 when I last spoke to you guys?
1: Well, I guess Gung Ho has literally grown, so we've taken on more land. Um, so we, we're not currently productive on an acre and a half, but we are seeking to put in production an acre and a half and that's not all food production. That means that probably a quarter of that One and a half acres will be, or more, you know, will be under green manure or resting, potentially bush food stuff, talking with other members of the community. Not all of our acre and a half will be necessarily in production in terms of producing food, but it will be in production by being in our rotations and being part of the soil management and, you know, being loved up, basically.
0: How big were you when you started compared to this acre and a half?
1: What is that? So we were a quarter of an acre when we started five years ago. So pretty much we've doubled every year except for two years ago. That's amazing, <laughs> actually. Yeah, it is. Like when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. So we're basically we're just trying to find the sweet spot within our means and within our capacity and also, you know, to try and do as much food as we can within our capacity. Another thing worth mentioning is that we've also grown in terms of – the members that we've brought onto the gung-ho team so this summer we've employed two people for half a day to help us pick and to help us pack and we've also employed um someone who <laughs> basically is our full-time weed human machine <laughs> Which is weed human, like they did weed. Human weed machine, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, human weed machine. (laughs) Um,
0: That's great.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. So at the moment, that's in exchange for food, but we have agreed on an hourly rate. And so whenever they want that changed, you know, we'll pay them money. So that's great. Yeah, it kind of feels really good to be able to pay people and also build up people's skills and understanding of, you know, of a really small scale farming operation. Yeah, mm.
0: and how has the cooperative grown?
1: Mm, uh, well, it exists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, we're a legal entity, so we have four enterprises that are members and of the co-op, and we are looking for a few more because we reckon the land could support a few more producers so we have Cellar dairy who does milk and jewelry and fruit gardens who is aunt who's taken over from katie and Hugh who were mount alexander fruit gardens and we also have um cars organic nursery so they sell bare rooted trees so they graft lots of stuff all year round and then they sell it um, over winter so they do trees and then so that's that's the three and then katie and Hugh have grow grapefruit which isn't online Yeah, so I I mean, it's kind of so we've also employed a local person from Harcourt, and they are our the co-op's accountant, and um, the co-op pays. So whenever we do a market stall, it's a co-op stall, which means that the co-op pays whoever's working at those markets gets paid a wage, which is awesome for us, for everyone. And also, I reckon another growth that's happened is that we're not just looking at the land as individual sections that we're leasing, but we're actually looking at the entire property as a whole farm plan of being regenerative agriculture and, I guess, this is sustainable food production and making it as bountiful, you know, as, as it can, but in the way that is the best for the soil and land and the people because that's the only way that it can survive and work the best
0: for everyone so in terms of this moment in time it seems to me like I've seen a lot of people like all the shops have sold out of seedlings and seeds even Mm. Um, people are building garden beds it's they're panic buying vegetables which or future vegetables like they're building their own gardens which is better than panic buying toilet paper Um, (laughs) but uh, how do you feel about increased home gardening as I guess in relation to your enterprise and and what it Mm. takes to successfully grow things. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome, you know, um, in terms of people wanting to grow their own food. I think that's great. And we've always kind of been ambassadors of, of that. I guess it's just that thing of understanding what you're doing when you buy six. So this is just a totally random example. Like if you buy six punnets of lettuce seedlings, They're all going to go, they're all going to give you lettuce at the same time and then you'll have nothing. So I guess it's just the understanding of how to have successions in your home garden. So then, you know, basically you can spread the seedlings around and how many people are you trying to feed and different seasons. So how late can you plant stuff? How early can you plant stuff? So I guess it's just the knowledge of how, how to actually do that to do it successfully would be my only thing i hope that people either ask other people about you know cuz cuz yeah and it's also just that appreciation of if you to, now is also the time to save seeds so you know it's it's all about those skills as well of learning how to save what you've grown or what's around you so then you can have a have a steady harvest or a steady production
0: what's your take on what's going on now in in like with the pandemic and how people are feeling this vulnerability about what supplies are going to be available to them Mm. uh, in relation to what we've been anticipating climate change will be like which Mm. to my mind is going to be so much worse because seasons will change and the weathers will be more extreme and farming and growing things will be harder in climate change at least right now we can grow things with a certain amount of predictability. Mm, um, I disagree. Yeah? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, we're already in climate change. I've seen it in the last five or, yeah. you know, six years that I've been growing and I include that in, you know, I've been growing here for six years in Castlemaine, gung-ho for five, and I've seen it change and it is already more extreme and it is already unpredictable and I reckon that will just continue to get worse. So I I think it's not worth thinking about climate change as a future reality. I think it is already the reality, Mm -hmm. and it's just how far and how resilient are you to that reality.
0: So am I right in thinking that part of your... Rationale for starting this enterprise and doing this growing is an understanding that we need to have local food sources and that yep. we can't rely on this massive mechanism of supermarkets buying in stuff from you don't even know where from. Mm. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: People can bang on about local food, and that's really great in theory, but if you're actually serious and genuine about that, then you've got to look around and ask who who is growing the food rather than just it being this nice thing that you say or nice thing that you believe in or whatever that had had been living in this community for longer than me and and you know she was like yeah cool so that's what we all want to support so who who is growing (laughs) who is that and so I think for her that's some of where her inspiration came from and for me it was about the food system stuff and so we did start gung-ho with the aim of okay so if everything does go to shit it might not go to that in our lifetime but inevitably it probably will because the current system can't support itself or sustain itself what will feeding our community look like and I think it, it's all really site specific so you know I can talk about small scale on our small scale whereas you know potentially in western New South Wales that small scale can look really different. So I guess I just don't want to put across the idea that when I say small scale, it has to be one and a half acres. I think that's not what I'm saying, if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, But I think for us, it may, it makes sense Um, for us our whole thing is, all right, how can we feed our community? Is it actually possible? Like, obviously, we can't. Gung-ho cannot feed Castlemaine or Harcourt. Yeah. Like, we need, I think we did the maths of it, we need maybe 200, 250 of mel and sasses and gung-hos to feed the community. And, of course, that wouldn't just be vegetables. That would be fruit. That would be animals. That would be um, dairy. That would be grain, you know. So mm. it's it's quite a it's a bigger picture of localised food and what that looks like.
0: That's amazing. Like, that's an amazing number of more of you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's very rough. <laughs> that's very rough because we were just like, okay, so roughly how many families of vegetables do we feed? Mm. And so we did that and then we looked at the population of kind of Cathalmane, well, of the Shire, really. It was the Shire and kind of did, we just did rough maths. Yeah. That was the rough figure. I'm. I'm don't quote us. <laughs> no, no. No, but... but it's that thing of kind of like people in terms of being resilient, like you need people, more people growing your food, basically. Mm. And so we want to be a working example of a livelihood that is rich, not just in, well, it's never going to be rich in money, but rich in lots of ways. Oh, yeah, I'm blabbering on now. I feel like I could, it's, it's such a big question. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: when you're, when you're saying these things, it makes me think of the recent bushfire benefit you guys put on and your motivation for that. Do you want to talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah, so I guess we were really struck with the fires just of how lucky we were in this community that it hadn't happened to us and there's no reason that it can't happen to us. And for us, it kind of made us just go, all right, well, who are the people? People in our direct community, and for us as growers, it was the other producers and other growers. And so, wanting to connect with our immediate community who's next door, basically. So, who's your neighbour? Like, who's the person down the road? Who's that person that grows wine over the hill? Who's that person who, you know, grows garlic down the road? Oh, that's you, that's you. Hey, this is me. Because you're all working so hard, you never actually make the time to do that. So, we wanted to put on a dinner that showcased a local dinner that showcased all of these providers basically and say thanks, but also get to know them. So that that one of the benefits for us was that we did get to actually have conversations and people were so excited to support that and actually really, yeah, it was, it was a really beautiful thing on the side that people didn't know necessarily, but they got also beautiful food. So we had beautiful chefs who we had five five local chefs who are passionate about produce and preserving and you know really get behind growers and do lots of their own growing to you know it was their art that turned this beautiful stuff into what it was but yeah it was about creating community resilience I guess is the bottom line and that's with connection.
0: One of the people you were raising money for was organic farmers
1: so 50% of the proceeds went to Orocoop they're an organization who specifically looks after biodynamic and organic farmers and so looking at helping them do soil tests and crops and fodder whatever they needed help with basically to start getting back into production because especially if you're certified organic or biodynamic you If you, you know, those, it all depends on your soil, it all depends on what feed you give to your animals, or everything like that. So it's quite specific. And I guess lots of them are trying to do the same work that we are. So that felt like a really first hand way that we could support um, good, well, agriculture of a similar ilk of ours. Uh, And then 25% went to Wildlife Victoria because. You know, our animals, our biodiversity in the soil and in the insects and, in the you know, that's just massive and the people feeding animals in the bush was huge. And then the other 25% went to our two local regions of the CFA because they're the ones, they've saved Harcourt, well, our farm once and, you know, if if any of us have a problem, they're the ones that we're going to call.
0: The fear that people are feeling now during the coronavirus and... Mm. And this insecurity that people are feeling that makes them grow back seedlings when they've never bought them before, yeah. and try and grow a garden. Yeah. I'm wondering how much that links to what we might need to do in the future. Anyway, people are talking about it like it's a a test run for climate change. You know, like it's testing our systems. It's making us question all the things we've taken for granted. In the system that we live in which is unsustainable Mm. and we know that the system we're living in is unsustainable and yet we're finding it really hard to wean ourselves off it but this virus
1: because we don't have another system yeah, we don't
0: have something to replace it with yeah so is that what you guys are trying to do is offer
1: yeah yeah. totally (laughs) (laughs) completely yeah and we have to fight against the current system all the time we have to prove our validity all the time and we don't even care about if people think we're valid or not it's just kind of like just let us grow food but because of the way the system works it's cheaper for people to go from castle Main to go down to the melbourne markets buy food there bring it back up to Castlemaine, and sell it to our community whereas we're growing good food just up the road you've also got to have a dependable market in order to know that you can grow stuff that will be sold we we will only grow what we know we can sell we're not going to grow an amazing amounts of stuff that we can't sell as well so it's kind of like that's got to go both ways so there is no system there's no alternative because the people trying to create the alternative there's not there's not a support for it because the mainstream system or not mainstream but the current system it's easier
0: so what sort of support would you want to see what would make it easier for you is it council supporting you with different rules or is it the community um, getting on board and sort of thinking creatively or more systematically about what they could do like what support
1: it's having a sustainable market that we could sell to and by market I mean if you know what you're going to grow is going to be sold not because people are into local food this week but because they're into buying food it's also all about economics like our food is actually not that expensive but it's because you're buying it directly from us right so if people like local businesses do support us but they've also got to you know make their businesses work and for them economically it's better to make their businesses work because they you know they will buy our produce from a cheaper a cheaper sale from us so then they can put it into their shops so it's not super expensive and they can also make some profit on it because they have to because that's the way business works so it's economically better for them to go to Melbourne to buy it. So you can only, it only makes sense for us to to directly sell to the public and in certain circumstances it's better, it's good for us to sell to other local businesses and good for them too, you know. Like we work work with each other, we're totally aware of that. Like we want to support each other as much as we can and we do do that. But the current system makes that an interesting thing. Do you know what I mean?
0: It's a dance that you have to do.
1: Yeah, and so we we have to sell directly to the public. Because of the scale that we grow, but also so the public get a good price and we get an alright price.
0: So were you guys instrumental in the Casamane farmers market becoming a weekly market?
1: Yes. Instead of just
0: monthly. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the monthly farmers market, that the one Victorian Association VMFA Victoria's Farmers Markets Association um you know it's amazing what they did in terms of creating such strict um boundaries and guidelines for people to be in markets so if you're shopping at a Victorian farmers market you can know that who you're buying from either works from that farmer or is the farmer themselves lots of markets that you go to people will have gone to melbourne or gone to a wholesale they'll buy the produce and then they'll resell it to you so they, they did really well in terms of making it monthly. Um, for us in this, and, you know, that's been happening for a long time, and the Victorian ones, are the, they've been the longest running in Australia. But for us, we were kind of like, well, it's not worth our while taking our stuff to market once a month and making sure that we've got enough to take to market, not knowing that it would be sold and having to compete with people who are, you know, pretty far out of our region. Um, because of whatever reason. So, we're just not going to do that. So, we never did the monthly market, whereas for us, it made heaps more sense to be hyper local. So, you know, the dream is to have a market full of producers within our shire. And actually, if you're going to the Wednesday markets currently through this whole virus thing, like more and more people are going out of business, and the only way, so lots of their avenues of sales have gone down and the only way that they can sell to people is through the Wednesday market so the idea of the Wednesday market is that you are going weekly so then you can buy local produce weekly and then on the flip side it works for the producers because they're not having to go to a market on weekends on their you know potential holiday time or family time or that sleep in time so we were like no it's got to work for the growers too and
0: and again and it also means that you can plant a full season's worth of stuff knowing that you've got a weekly market to supply to instead of these stop-start once a month. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that was... T-
0: three weeks off, yeah, one week exactly. on. exactly, and of.
1: that was the idea. So I guess a stable... market—that's We're trying to create a stable market with that. And, you know, there's got to be understanding that that takes time in order to create enough food for a stable market. will probably take a year because it takes a year to make sure you've got enough room for certain crops you've got to have proper rotations you've got to blah 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 all of that kind of stuff but yeah that was the idea and the idea also of having a weekly market means that the community is seeing who the local producers are hopefully inspires other people to jump on board and be another local producer if the you know if if there's enough people shopping at the weekly market you know it's such a it's such a dance because people will come to the market if there's enough food There'll be enough food if people come to the market. <laughs> yeah,
0: so yeah.
1: One of them has yep. to be brave.
0: And that's you guys right now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Walk on <in> the edge. <laughs> Can I just say something else about the weekly market? That the idea about it also of it being hyper-local, so being within our shire, is trying to create resilience within our shire for food. Our dream was that people could see that there was an avenue for them to be able to sell their produce at a weekly market which would inspire them to grow and in that way us as growers as a community or producers as a community and also as eaters as a community that we could all kind of support each other to grow more growers because that that in essence is resilience whether it be climate change whether it be virus whether it be there's no more petrol, so trucks can't transport stuff.
0: Whatever the catastrophe is, we can handle it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, or at least have connections to know people who who we can look to and who can support us. And, you know, it's just that thing of connection, like I support you, you support me. We're actually all in it together. It's not about me just looking after myself because that, that will never work, you know? Mm. We don't grow food just for ourselves. We grow food because we want to feed people really good food and we want to treat the earth well so that it can continue to grow food for people way after us.
0: That was Mel Willard of Gung-Ho Growers. As mentioned at the start of the episode, I spoke to these guys in depth in 2018 in episode 6 of season 1. A soulful and heartfelt look at the farmers who are working bloody hard to keep us nourished. You can find it at saltgrass.podbean.com. Salt. 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 Grass. Grassroots. Grass. Grass. Grassroots. Grassroots salt of the earth people, grassroots change, Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. My name is Alison Hanley and I have been your host today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you are interested in any of the books, articles or websites mentioned in the show, you can find links to them in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com. You can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to our emailing list to get reminders and updates about the show. Email us at saltgrasspodcast@gmail.com. gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for topics, know someone amazing we should talk to, have a recycling tip, a green product review, or have a song recommendation. Again, email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. This program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Main FM. It should be noted that the statements and opinions of myself and the people I interview are not the official positions held by either Main FM or Masc. We welcome feedback and responses to the ideas expressed on the show. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at saltgrasspodcast@gmail.com.